0: We'll be in 1 Peter today, no surprises. Uh, this is the, the good thing about just working from start to finish in a book. Uh, you never have to wonder where we're going to be. Um, we're going to pick up from where we left off last time um, as we continue to just work through this letter that Peter had written to the exiles, the chosen exiles in Asia Minor. And, and before we read the, the, the couple of verses that we're going to do today, we've got... Uh, Verse 4, 5, and 6. So we're going to change the pace up a little bit because the last, um, the last few times we've been just a verse at a time. E- everyone's been a verse. We're going to try with great ambition to get through 3 today. Um, that's, the, that's the plan. We'll see what happens. Um, but I don't think we'll get much farther than verse 7 through the whole day. So uh, we'll be back to the one verse norm tonight. Um, but that's okay. I want to... Just kind of draw your attention really quickly to the structure of this letter so far before we read it. You will see that it is is systematically building on each other for a purpose. And what we have found out in chapter 1, verse 1, is that who he's writing to. It's the chosen, the elect that are uh, aliens or exiles in Asia Minor. And he then tells us in verse 2, how did they become the elect? How did they become to this position? And we go through the the Trinitarian work of salvation, how it was the election of God the Father, how it is the sprinkling of the blood of the Son who came to lay his life down for the sheep. And it's the the Trinitarian work also that the Spirit is involved as he uh, regenerates our soul and then leads us into sanctification. So you see, here's the chosen, here's how they're chosen, here's the Trinitarian work. And then in verse 3, which we covered on Thursday, we began to just really examine what it means to be born again. I guarantee you, if you've been in church for any time, or if you've been in church for a long time, you have heard those two words so much, but they're not exactly the way we've made them to be. There's a misconception, and we won't spend all the time on this because you can find it on the podcast. It's there. Um, And it's an important one to listen to because it changes everything. You know, so many times the way that we have been taught is that you come and you bring your faith to God. And when you bring your faith to God, then you're born again. You're regenerated. Well, if that is the view that is being held, then what you're doing is you're asking for the impossible. You're asking for the the natural man to do something that the Bible says the natural man cannot do. You are in an, a fallen state, dead in sin, unregenerate in heart. You have a heart of stone. There's nothing in you, in your flesh, that could ever do anything pleasing to God. That includes to muster up out of your dead state, faith. It's not how it works. You don't bring your faith to be born again. If you have faith, that's the fruit of you being born again. Your faith is the fruit of regeneration. And God chases you down. He invades your soul. It's a sovereign act. It's a unilateral act of the sovereign God who goes to your soul when you're running from him as fast as you can. He invades your soul via the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 2 says, while you're dead, God, in his great mercy, brought you from death to life, raised you into newness of life. He does the work. He changes the disposition of your soul and your mind and your will. And He brings the affection of God to you. And then one of the greatest gifts that could ever be given to mankind is given in the moment that you are born again. God gives you faith. He regenerates your soul. And then He gives you faith to believe. That's what Philippians 1.29 says, that it has been granted to you to believe. God grants you repentance. He grants you faith. So He regenerates your soul. He causes you to be born again. And then He gives you faith. Then you take that faith and you exercise it. You put that faith into God, which brings about your justification. At the heart of the Reformed theology doctrine is this, that regeneration precedes faith. That's the heart of the matter. And your faith is the fruit of regeneration, not the cause of it. Because you can't muster up faith in your fallen state. That's what verse 3 says. There's doxology there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you born again? Why? He tells you there in verse 3. According to his great mercy. While you were dead in sin, Ephesians 2. You were by nature deserving of wrath, but God isn't that the story? Isn't that the gospel? But God, who is rich in mercy, brought you to life. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is a gift of God, and no one can boast. That's what verse 3 is all about. He says, listen, you've been born again By supernatural means, because that's the only way that rebirth can be brought about. And then he says, because you, talking to the elect, talking to the chosen here, because you've been uh, born again, you have been called to a living hope. This living hope is linked to the resurrection of Christ. We've mentioned it before. The hope that a Christian has is not the hope of the world. We have to keep being reminded of that. The hope of the world is what? I hope it comes to pass, but I don't know. He is telling these people here and He's instructing us today that those who are born again, your hope is living because of the Savior. He links your hope to the resurrection. And as Christ was resurrected from the dead into glory, 1 Corinthians 15 says that He was the firstfruits. As Christ is resurrected, the truth and the realness of His resurrection is a guarantee that those who are born again will rise with Him to glory, just as he did. Christ is living, and so is our hope. You see how it's continually going down. He's talking to the chosen. Here's how they've been chosen. Here's what has happened in the regeneration. And because of this, now you have a living hope. And then he tells us what that living hope also involves. He's going to talk about our inheritance today. Y'all know that you, if you're born again, have an inheritance waiting on you right now. Why would he tell this? Because you're going to find out tonight he's got one message that Peter is going to tell these people tonight. And you see it at the very bottom of the board. Rejoice. Trials are coming. And they're necessary. So Peter is going to tell them, listen. Listen. I'm going to, I know, I know that you're not home. I know that you're exiles. I know there's trouble coming, but I want you at the forefront of all that, as you look at the world and you look at the chaos, the thing that I want to be forefront in your mind is this, that you are called, you are chosen, you have been born again, and you have a living hope. So yes, the trials are coming, but no one thing, your hope of your inheritance far outweighs that. That's what he's going to tell them. This is, the, this is the order of the events. He's going to tell them about their inheritance before he tells them trials are coming. But mind you, they already know. They're the dispersion. They're, the, they're, they're, they're out of their home. They're, they know and they've been persecuted. This is not new, but Peter has to remind them. So with that being said, let's talk about what the inheritance that we have is as the Holy Spirit has led Peter to write these words. We'll read verse 4 to verse 6. This is just at the end. Talking about our living hope. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed In the last time, in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That's the word of God. Let's pray over these verses. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your foreknowledge for your election, for your mercy. God, we want to thank you that while we were running from you, you were coming to seek and to save us. Lord, when there's nothing in us that would ever come to you, you came to us. And by a sovereign act of divine mercy and by mercy alone, you invaded our souls and you caused us to be born again. Lord, you're the only one who can do that. And without you, we're hopeless and helpless for that effect and that cause. Lord, let our heart sing and have doxology for you as we think about our rebirth and our regeneration. And God, today we pray that you would just be able to show us the truths of the inheritance that awaits your people. Lord, as we Live in this world as exiles, just like this audience here that Peter's writing to. Lord, let us keep our minds on the inheritance that awaits. It's a living hope, and it's all because of you. Please give us instruction. Give us guidance in these words today. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Peter, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, here begins to uh, describe the inheritance that is awaiting his people, God's people, his chosen people, in three different words. They're on your sheet, they're on the board. We're going to go through these a little bit so you can get an idea of the magnitude of this inheritance. And what is amazing here is that as you go back down to the Greek if you go back to the words that are being used here that this inheritance that is being discussed in these verses also have the same connotation the same meaning of those words to describe God because what is our inheritance? Our inheritance is what? The fulfillment of our salvation? It's heaven. It's the splendor of God. It's being in His presence forever and ever and ever. So yes, our inheritance is linked to God. It's linked to the living hope of the Savior. And this is what Peter is going to be led to write by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The first thing he says here is to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. If you look at that word in the original Greek, in the context, that definition means to be uncorrupted, not liable to corruption or decay, and immortal. It's an interesting last word, isn't it? Uncorrupted, cannot be decayed, immortal. Never in an end. That's what immortal means, right? There's no end to it. It continues and it continues and it continues. We see that same word being used to describe Jesus in our God in First Timothy chapter one, verse 17. It says this. In the same meaning of this word translated into immortal is found here is what it says. "Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word, the word, the meaning that your your inheritance holds is linked to no corruption, linked to immortality because there is no end. And now we go to 1 Timothy and we see that our king is eternal and immortal. Does God ever die? No, he doesn't. He's immortal. The Bible says that our mortal bodies will put on what? Immortality. Do you see the depths already of the inheritance that is awaiting you? That it never will be gone. It will be forever. It will live forever. And why will our inheritance live forever? Because God lives forever. That's why He links the hope that you have with the resurrection. Think about what we know about God's intercession for the elect, as it says in Romans 8. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one. Why? Why? Because it's God who intercedes. Hebrews 7.25 says that we are made, uh, we have been saved completely and perfectly. Why? Because he ever lives to intercede. This is the problem that I have when you tell me that a true believer can lose their salvation because do you know what you have to say? That the son has failed as a high priest. How dare we ever say that? The importance of the resurrection is that he lives forever. And as long as he lives, he is interceding for his people. He's immortal. He will not die. So he will constantly and intercede for us forever. That's the same words used of your inheritance. Your inheritance is forever. Your inheritance cannot be touched. It cannot be defiled. It cannot be corrupted. There can be no decay. Because it's linked to God. Listen to what Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21 says. These are familiar verses, but listen to them now in the context of the inheritance of his people. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I remember when I was a freshman in college, I had left early that morning, and it wasn't too much later that I get a call from my dad, and he had asked me if, I had played a trick on him and had taken his truck. Like, I did not take your truck. It's a weird question. Well, I can't find my truck. What do you mean you can't find your truck? Long story short, his truck was stolen that night. They had ravaged it. They had painted it. They had spray painted the windows. They had taken some clothes out. Oddly enough, they didn't take the Bible. Wish they would have, but they didn't. And Trump was very valuable to him. meant a lot to him. Thebes took it. Things that we hold in high esteem, some of your prized possessions, give it a little time. They'll start to rust. They'll start to fade, won't they? They'll start to not look the same. We have no hope in those things. But what Peter's telling them, as he's telling us today, your inheritance in heaven, there's no one going to come and take it. It's yours. It's there. It's waiting for you. You've got the greatest guard in all the universe guarding your inheritance. There's not going to be a thief come. There's not going to be anybody damage it. It's never going to rust. It's never going to look worse than it is. It is going to stay in the absolute glory, in the magnitude, in the perfection that it is now forever and ever and ever. I think it's truly amazing that this is being held for you right now. Guarded. It is so secure. You can't even comprehend how secure it is. And just like our God that has no end, that is immortal. So is your inheritance. Do you see why he's telling this to the exiles? Because they're going to go through some hard times. They're going to go through some struggles and some trials, which he calls necessary. But he wants them to know, just like God wants you to know, when you get distracted and you start to get discouraged, think about your inheritance. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's immortal. And if we're still here as human beings a thousand years from now, two thousand years from now, you don't have to worry about it losing any value. You don't have to worry about it looking any worse than what it is because the radiance and the glory of this God is immortal and it will be transcendent in all its glory forever and ever. Did I mention that's reserved for you? What an honor that is. Why is it reserved for you? Mercy. That's why it's there. And that's why you'll be there. He goes on to say, not only is it imperishable, it is undefiled. This word means unstained, unsoiled, pure, sincere, unimpaired. And then we have a, the same meaning used in another place in the Bible. We find this word used in the same context, in the same meaning, in Ephesians chapter 7, verse 26. uh, Hebrews 7, 26, I'm sorry. Here's what it says. Who do you think it's speaking of? Speaking of the Lord. You're going to see that our inheritance and the Lord is linked together. He says, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, and here it comes, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens this is your inheritance it's pure it's undefiled you know when the bible says there's not going to be anything that's undefiled in the kingdom of god it is going to be the most pure the most worthy inheritance that you've ever had in your life it's unblemished and it's undefiled and we see that same usage of that word talking about our high priest unblemished why can he be our high priest because he was tempted in all points like we were yet without sin his active obedience was unblemished he lived the perfect life we've mentioned it before he didn't just come to die he came to live and if he doesn't live then we have no righteousness if we have no righteousness we have no inheritance in this kingdom Because he says in Acts 17, he's going to judge the world one day in righteousness. Oh, he's coming for righteousness. He's looking for righteousness. And you're either clothed in yours, your righteousness, which is nothing. Or you're clothed in his. And the reason that he can be your high priest is because he was undefiled. He was perfect and he was pure. And guess what? That same word is used to describe your inheritance. Perfect and pure. Do you deserve that? You don't deserve it. I don't either. Why do you get it? Because of the work of God. Look what Peter says in the previous verses. They're chosen. Why? According to the foreknowledge of God. The intercessory work of the Son, the the sanctification of the Spirit, this is yours. You've been raised to this inheritance, you've been born again. And this gift that you have, you don't deserve. It's all mercy. Seems to be a theme of the Bible, doesn't it? Mercy. He goes on to tell us that our inheritance will not fade away. You know, Valentine's Day's coming up. Fellas, it's coming up. And one of the things that has been a tradition in our house, is that, and it will continue this year, it, that we get, I get Taylor flowers. But I don't stop there. I want to get Andalyn flowers too. And it does my heart so good. I try, to, I try to make it a surprise. I try to sneak it in sometimes. I try to get off work early so I can give it to them and knock on the door and then run. You can't hear the Prius coming up. I can, I can sneak up on them sometimes because I love to see the look on their face. I love to see the joy that that gives them. That means a lot to them. And they will take that and they will put the flowers in our vases and they will fill them with water and they will set them on the island. And they're so beautiful, aren't they? And and here's my mind. I think as I walk by these flowers, we should just have fresh flowers all the time. This looks so good. And then I realize why we don't. Because there's nothing like the first few days walking by these flowers, is there? What do you do? You stop. You smell them. You look at them. And they're one of God's amazing creations. They're they're glorious. They're beautiful. Such color. Such amazing just view to the eye. But it doesn't take long, does it? That the thing that is so beautiful the thing that we're so captivated by, the thing that means so much to us in just a matter of days as you continue to walk by those flowers, what happens? You see them starting to go, don't you? You see the the colors starting to dim. You see the leaves beginning to fade. You're doing everything you can just to keep them a little longer. But there comes a time The things that mean so much and are so beautiful, it won't be long till the trash can gets opened and the flowers go in. Because they fade. The beauty and the glory fades. Your inheritance never does. It doesn't matter how long you have to wait. It doesn't matter how long eternity is. The splendor of your inheritance will never lose its radiance. It will never lose its glory. It will never lose the absolute majesty that it has. You know why? Because God is eternal, and God is immortal, and God never dies. And his intrinsic glory never changes. We've labored that point so much recently. There's two glories. The intrinsic glory is the glory of God, it's who he is, it's his being, it's his nature, it's the radiance of who he is, and it never changes. And when we're in eternity, experience our inheritance because his intrinsic glory never fades, neither does our inheritance. He goes on to tell us that in a couple different places. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 7 and 8, he says, The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the Word of God, our God, stands forever. And in 1 Peter 1, 23-25, we'll be there in the next few weeks, hopefully. Here's what it says, For you have been born again. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and the enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There's two things that never fade. There's two things that never will lose what they have. Things that will never fade away, that will be forever. Or the word of god and the inheritance of the saints that's a living hope what a hope that we have how often do you think about this inheritance let me ask it this way do you think about this world more or do you think about your inheritance more in the good times what do you think about in the bad times what do you think about Bible tells us that in both those circumstances and situations, as Colossians will tell us, he says to set your affections, set your mind on the things above where God is. (coughs) Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Where's your thoughts? Peter is reminding these people, you're going to need to remember this. You're going to need to remember that you have a living hope you're going to need to remember it because here's what he's going to tell them. The trials are coming. They're going to come. They're unavoidable. They're necessary. And in the middle of these trials, you better have one thing solely and squarely in your mind. You've got an inheritance that never fades, that's untarnished, that is reserved for you by God. I believe that's Something that we could all use today, isn't it? In this world. You're still exiles. Nothing's changed since we started this book. You're still exiles. You're still not home. And trials are coming. But you have a living hope. That's what he's trying to tell here. He goes on to say this. Not only is this inheritance imperishable. Not only is it undefiled. Not only will it not fade away. But it is reserved in heaven for you. Stop just for a second and think about that. That's a personal thing. If you just stop for one second and think, not think about the week that you've had, not think about what the rest of the day will hold, not think about the trials in your life, not thinking about anything else. If you stop for one second, can you think? That this inheritance is reserved for you right now in heaven? It's not going anywhere. There's a place reserved for you. You remember what he said in John 14? Do not let your heart be troubled. Has your heart ever been troubled? Especially when trials come, especially when you don't know the answer, especially when there's persecution. Your heart gets troubled. What does the rest of that verse say in John 14? Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? If you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many rooms. Listen, if that wasn't true, I would have told you so. Here's why you can take comfort. Here's why you have a living hope. Here's why you don't have to be troubled. He's going to prepare that for you. And here's the promise he goes to prepare it for you if he goes to reserve it for you guess what he will come again and where he is you'll be also that's the hope of a christian that's the living hope it doesn't die it never fades it's it's not predicated on the circumstance your hope is eternal and it's final it's there it's reserved It's not going anywhere. It's reserved for you in heaven. And look at the totality of this reserving your inheritance. It goes back to the previous verses that we've already covered in 1 Peter. Where did your salvation start? didn't start in the moment. That He regenerated you. It didn't start in the moment that he gave you faith and then you put that faith in Christ. You professed that he is Lord and you believed in your heart and then this brings about your justification. That's not where your salvation started. It was part of the process, but that's not where it started. Where did your, where did your salvation start? Eternity passed. Before the foundation of the world. God the Father, according to his sovereign and divine mercy, has chosen for himself a people. And he made it with such finality that he wrote it in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do you see the depths and the length that has been taken in your salvation? Do you see the depths and the length that God has taken to reserve your inheritance? This is not a fly-by-night thing. This is not, I'm just going to make my mind up one day. No, 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 no. This has been set before the foundation of the world by the mercy of the living God. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if this tent that we live in, if it's done away with, then we have a home that is awaiting us that is permanent. And then he goes on to say this, and the one who has designed us and purposed us for this is God. The fact that your inheritance is reserved right now goes all the way back before the foundation of the world. It's that precious to God. Remember this, that you, the elect, are the gift to the Son. They're the ones that's going to be there in the wedding feast. Every one of them that, that the Son has died for, it's a personal thing. It's an intimate thing. The guest list has went out. The guest list was made before the foundation of the world. The names are on the tables. Your name is there if you are a child of God. He's started it from eternity past. And you know what I know? You're going to be there. Because your name is on the reservation of that table. Because you're a gift to the Son. It's so much deeper. It's so much more than what we've made it. God has reserved this inheritance. Do you know what the Bible says that eternal life is? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? You know it? Eternal life. Wait a minute. This eternal life's a gift? It's given? It should be fresh on your mind about those gifts, shouldn't it? What about those gifts that God gives? They're irrevocable. They're final. He does not give and then take away. And he says that this inheritance is reserved for you. It's been reserved before the foundation of the world. And the gift of eternal life has been a gift given to you. And if it's been given to you, you're guaranteed that gift. It's reserved. When you get bogged down by the world, when you get overwhelmed by the world, when you don't know what to think, set your mind on your inheritance. It's the living hope that we have. Listen to what he goes on to say. Because that's just the first part of it. Your inheritance right now is being reserved for you. Look at verse 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me say it to you like this. This This is so amazing when you think about it. Not only is your inheritance reserved for you But you have been reserved for your inheritance. Let me say it again. Your inheritance is being kept right now for you. But while you're walking on this world, you're being kept. You're being kept for your inheritance. How does He keep you? Well, when He causes you to be reborn, when He brings the rebirth into your soul, when He regenerates you, The Holy Spirit does that work. And you know what the Holy Spirit is. It's a seal. It's a seal. Guaranteeing you your inheritance. The Bible says in multiple places, one of them we see is in Ephesians 4.30. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit to which you have been sealed until the day of redemption. Not only can we grasp this, we have to. Right now in heaven, your inheritance is saved for you. It's reserved. But every believer, every chosen, every elect, God is reserving you to bring you to that inheritance. What an amazing thought, isn't it? He seals you with the Spirit. It says that He brings you, He reserves you, He protects you through faith. Who gives you the faith? God gives you the faith to believe. That's the fruit of regeneration. He gives you the faith. Faith is the gift that you have. There comes those pesky gifts again. That if faith is a gift, and He gives you that gift, who are we to say that that gift is ever going to be taken away? A true believer does not ever lose their faith because God is keeping you in that faith. You know, the verses that we have quoted so many times, we, we, we know this one particular one, says so we look unto Jesus the author of the faith the one who gives the faith but what also is he the perfecter of that faith do you see the beauty of your inheritance it's there it's waiting the bible tells us that our inheritance is the salvation that is to be received in the last time, when it is revealed in the last time. We've labored this point as well, so we won't spend a lot of time on it. We just mentioned it a little bit. Your salvation was not just at the time where you professed God or Jesus being Lord. It's not the time where you uh, believed in your heart and made this profession. It's not the time where you put faith in Christ. That's not where your faith started. Your faith started like we said at the beginning of time, the foundation of the world where God chose His people, wrote their name in the land's book of life. Then there is a time and space, a temporal time and space where we do take the faith that He's given us, confess Him, put our faith in Him, which brings about our justification and our salvation in that moment. And the Bible speaks of terms that He continues to save us in this life. But the final, the final step, the final fulfillment of our Salvation is when we see Him in the last day. When we enter heaven, when these exiles come marching home, that's when our salvation is complete. And this is what He's saying. Your inheritance is reserved for you in heaven. You're reserved for your inheritance. And you're protected by the power of God through faith. And you're protected for that inheritance, that salvation that will be revealed on that day. That's the finality of your salvation. When you are home with God, to live with him forever, and to bask in his glory. We come about this inheritance not by natural means. The Father only has one son, the monogenes, the unique son. It's it's Jesus. So how do we come into this inheritance? We weren't by natural means allowed to this inheritance. How did we come into this inheritance? By adoption. That's how we came to be. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8. We didn't stay away from it long, did we? Listen to what he says. Romans chapter eight, verse fourteen through eighteen. It says for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For if for you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What a privilege. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and of children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with Him, so that we also may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, do you see the theme the heartaches of this world, the groanings of this world, keep in mind one thing. You've got it. You've been adopted. You've got an inheritance, not by natural means. You were adopted. But the Father looked down and chose you to pull you into His family, to give you the privilege. What does 1 John tell us? Oh, what great love the Father has lavished upon us. We should be called the children of God. Again, it comes to mercy. We didn't come to this inheritance by by merit, by our natural means. There's nothing in us that should deserve this inheritance. It is strictly by mercy and by adoption that we can be the children of God and heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. He goes on to say this in verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice. In this, everything we've just talked about, the election, the being born again, the living hope, the inheritance, all that, in that you rejoice. Do you? Do I? In this you rejoice. That's a, isn't that a great? Let's just stop the verse there. Isn't that great? A good way to end, right? In this you rejoice. Have a great day. But he doesn't stop, does he? Even though. Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Do you see that word even though? Those two words say a lot, don't they? Even though trials may come, rejoice in this. Again, these are exiles. We're exiles. This is so temporary. Right? Your hope is not in this world. Your hope is a living hope in heaven. And if we're not careful, our eyes are fixed on the world. And our rejoicing is solely in correlation to the day we're having. Been there? You ever been there? I think we all have. Let's know what Peter's saying. Even though, even though you rejoice. Greatly rejoice. Trials are coming. What a message, huh? Can you imagine the exiles getting this letter? I like it. We're good. Great, we're called. Great, we've been born again. Great, we have a living hope. Great, we have an inheritance. Great, it's being reserved. Great, we're being reserved. Keep this in mind and continue to rejoice because the trials are coming. They're necessary. How many times have you ever thought of trials in life as necessary? As human beings, don't we do just the opposite? This is unfair. How could this be? Hurry up and get me out of this. What if we did what the Bible said to do? To greatly rejoice, even in the middle of them. That's what he tells them to do. To give God his described glory, because his intrinsic glory never changes. The trials are coming, we have to change our mindset. We have to stop dealing with circumstances in life according to the way our flesh wants to deal with them. And we have to be biblical in our response. We have to be biblical in our actions. And that's rejoicing. Have you ever stopped and just think of the trials in the world and the trials that have come to you? Can you imagine if this was the the mindset that Christians had? This doesn't feel good this hurts, God, my heart is broken. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I honestly don't know how I'm gonna get up and face tomorrow. And I don't know why this trial is here. But, you said it's necessary. And I trust you. So whatever I had in mind in this deal, take it away. And I want to ask what you had in mind. What do you have in mind in this trial, God? You said it's working all things out for the good, for those who are the called according to his purpose. If you come back tonight, you're going to understand that the trials are doing one thing. They're refining your faith. God, your will be done. The outcome is is going to be good because it's from you. It may break my heart. It may drop me to the floor. It may bring me to to nights where I don't get any sleep and I cry my eyes out. But God, you told me that they're necessary. They're from you. And everything from you is good. And everything from you is perfect. So God never let me want to rush out of this trial. God never let me want to to diminish or take away the lack of importance of this trial because it's from you and it's necessary. So, however long, however painful, let me rejoice because I trust you. And if you say these trials are necessary, then I believe you. And if you say they're for my good, I believe you. And if you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me, I believe you. If you said that they're trying my faith, so on that day, they will be to receive glory and honor and praise to you. Then let them come and let me praise you. Not been praying that very often in my life. But you know what? It comes down to the heart of everything. It comes down to this one simple question. Here's the question Do you trust God? That's the question. What it is He told us? You just read it. They're necessary. We're going to find out tonight, therefore you're good. Your faith wouldn't be the same without it. He loves you enough to, to refine you. Do you trust him? Do you trust his plan? Do you trust his ways? Even though he slay me. You know what Job said? I will praise him. Is that the cry of our hearts? It's not always, is it? But maybe today, hearing these words, that the Spirit of God will begin to change us. We live in a world that's broken, don't we? It's very easy to lose sight of our hope. It's very, very easy to lose sight of our inheritance. But let us never forget it. And we'll end with this thought which we've said already once but I want to leave this as the thought of the day, the first service at least. Here's the main thing. Here's the hope that we have. I can't say this too much because I love it. But I want you to think about this the rest of the day. You have an inheritance that's waiting for you. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It won't fade away. Here's the best part. It's being reserved for you. And you're being reserved for your inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From Him, through Him, and ultimately to Him be all the glory. How long? Forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your truths. God, let us stop just for a second in all the chaos and all the busyness of our lives. And Lord, let us just stop and think about that right now those who are yours, who have been called into this adoption. That no matter the uncertainty of this world. Lord, we have an inheritance that is certain. Lord, it's waiting for us. There's nothing that's going to take it from us. There's no, it's going to be there when we get there. God, it's not going to lose any, any glory or beauty. And God, we have this inheritance because of you. And you alone. So let our hearts praise you and thank you for this, God. Thank you for your inheritance. But God, we know that if it was left up to us, if it was left up to our natural means, if it was left up to us, We'd never make it to that inheritance. We couldn't. We can't. And that's why we're so thankful that not only are you reserving it for us, but you're reserving reserving us for our inheritance. God, let us grasp that today and let us see the weight of that. Let us see the enormous plan, the redemption plan that has started from the foundation of the world and will continue through eternity. And Lord, we're thankful that we will be there at that marriage supper of the Lamb. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.